to the Vicor Powering Innovation Podcast, where we discuss world-changing innovations. I'm Steve Germino, and I'm here with my co-host, Joe Ducey. Today's show is far overdue in my mind, Joe. You know, we have known about Video Ray and the things they're doing for quite some time, because we've been working with them for a long time, but they really are somewhat of a, a household name around here. They're a local company here on the East Coast, and they're really doing some amazing things with underwater remotely operated vehicles, or ROVs as they're commonly known. ROVs really are just underwater robots that are managed and really help in a number of different ways in terms of what they're doing underwater. And it's really a growing industry. And that's the key thing here in terms of my takeaway is how quickly it's growing and the variety of different ways they're being used underwater. And I'm sure you have a perspective on their growth and trajectory at this point. Yeah, I mean, Video Array, we can see it, like you said, because we're, we're so close to it, but we've seen Video Array grow at a great rate. And that's reflected also in the market because the ROV market is expected to reach about $7 billion in sales by the end of 2030. And, you know, granted, most of that investment is being uh, supplied by the oil industry because they have a vested interest in that area because they use ROVs pretty extensively with uh, undersea maintenance and inspection of their oil rigs. So, I mean, obviously it's in their best interest to invest in that area, but there's definitely a growing interest in the scientific and defense communities around the ROV technology because there are things that ROVs allow them to do that they were unable to do prior to this technology. Yeah, it really is kind of an evolving field at this point. And for me, Video Ray is so impressive because of the depth and breadth of industries that they have their fingers in. I mean, at this point, when I went to their website, just doing a little bit of research, I could see they're active in almost a dozen industries where you go to most websites, you find companies that are kind of really active in a, no more than a half dozen. So they're really finding a variety of applications where this is becoming very useful, if not you know standard operating procedure at this point. I know first responders are using it for search and rescue. You have defense, and they're doing underwater explosive ordnance disposal. Offshore riggers, oil and gas, they are using it for inspection. Hydroelectric energy, the same thing. And then, of course, one of my favorite, wreckage recovery, where they're underwater just exploring and who knows what you're going to find. So it really is kind of an exciting, interesting, adventurous field, if you will. Yeah, I think the best way to illustrate how important and really how versatile these ROV platforms are to really examine a number of the high-profile undersea current events that recently happened over the past year or so. And when we could start with the shipwreck of the Endurance, which actually was discovered in the Antarctic Ocean on March 6, 2022, at around 3,000 meters below the ocean surface. And that was discovered by um, Sabretooth, which is an ROV that's manufactured by Saab. The other event, which everyone is pretty familiar with, is the downing of the Chinese weather balloon off the coast of South Carolina, and uh, that was in the Atlantic Ocean. And the Video Ray Defender ROV was critical in that recovery and uh, examination efforts off the coast, and the U.S. Navy used that exclusively for that purpose. And then finally, the last and final one, which is most recent, was the Titan submersible tragedy that happened about a month ago or so. And uh, an ROV by the name of Odysseus 6K went down to about 12,000 feet under the ocean to discover that wreckage. Unfortunately, no survivors. But this is just an example of how 
this technology is being used nowadays for a variety of different things, as you pointed out, and being very diverse from search and recovery to uh, scientific discoveries and for you know, defense applications. So there's a bright future for this technology moving forward. Indeed it is, Joe. And I will say this, you had me at endurance. You know, I love the story of Sir Ernest Shackleton and his expedition on the endurance. That was just an amazing story of leadership, perseverance, and courage. Just, just one of my favorites. So it's awesome that you mentioned that. And those other examples are just perfect examples of how ROVs are really impacting our world today and uh, how much they're growing. So before we get to our podcast for today, I should mention that we have a new host that is David Krakauer, our VP of Corporate Marketing and Channel Strategy. He's going to jump into the hosting seat today, and I think we'll uh, turn it over to him and let him introduce our two guests from VideoRay. Today, we're joined by Marcus Kolb and Gamini Dharmasena. They're both from VideoRay. Marcus is the Chief Technology Officer at VideoRay and one of the earliest members, and Gamini is a senior electronics engineer at VideoRay. Marcus and Gamini, how are you guys doing today? Doing great. Yeah, doing great. Excellent. Well, really glad that you're here today to talk to us about your market, your business, and some of the power challenges that you have, just uh, by way of introduction. So VideoRay is a leader in underwater ROVs, remote operated vehicles in a sense, underwater robots. And I'm, I'm curious, can you tell us a little bit about your industry and the problems you solve? And I'll, maybe Marcus, you can start us off with that. Sure, yeah. Our industry, as we see it, has kind of evolved as robots have evolved really over the last 20 some years, which is when we started. Started out as inspection, very small inspection vehicles used to inspect things like water tanks. And where we find ourselves now is we're looking for mines for the US Navy and being able to disable them and, and do some real offshore work. So the market has evolved along with the technology and the capabilities of the world in general of underwater robotics, but also as video ray capabilities have evolved. So what I've seen just doing a little bit of research and just reading in the news, it looks like there's a lot of activity that's going on in, in this industry, even beyond inspection, as you just described. What are the things that are driving the growth in this business? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. You know, on one hand, it's uh, the desire to get divers out of the water. Oftentimes water is in places that need to be inspected as contaminated, something you don't really think about too much, but it can be a nasty place for divers. It can also be an absolute hazard, such as, uh, you know, U.S. Navy divers diving on a mine. <laughs> you really don't want the diver around the mine if you can help right. it. But in general, uh, in the commercial world, same category, you know, you, the water, you can go deeper with the robot. The robot can stay down all day long and operate where a diver, dive time's limited, and it's dangerous work putting divers underwater. So really, we're just not really replacing divers, but we're doing more work that, without divers. So, so creating yeah. a safer missions in challenging environments, it sounds like that's a, a big problem that you guys are working to solve. Are there any other problems that are out there that your products particularly address in this market? I think as industry goes into the ocean more, I'm talking about wind farms, right? Hey, great idea. We'll put it offshore. There's a lot of wind. Well, that also creates a lot of problems. You're putting 
these monopiles for wind farms up in some of the most challenging conditions of sea because of the wind. And so that makes it even more difficult to inspect that infrastructure, especially with people. So we really try to use the robot as much as possible, but it is a growing challenge because those those locations, it's not something that was ever done before. And uh, they're finding out it's it's much more difficult than anticipated, I think, to be able to maintain and inspect these structures as we push kind of industrial uh, devices further and further offshore. And it's not just wind, it's wave power, you know, a lot of the renewables, but oil and gas, same thing. We're going deeper, looking for oil and gas in more and more difficult places, and it all needs to be inspected. So the more the more work we do underwater, <laughs> the more mm. the more work there is for inspecting and light intervention work, which is where we're at. So the in ROV, the R stands for remote. How how remote are these? In other words, how far away is the robot, the underwater robot, from the operators who are managing these? Oh yeah. Well, in a lot of cases, our robots are within a few hundred meters, you know, a couple hundred yards away on a tether. You know, we consider that remote. However, more and more that's getting pushed. I gave the example of offshore. So, you know, a lot of these offshore platforms have high-speed fiber optic cable laid to them for communications. So now remote can actually be have the operator onshore somewhere and the vehicle offshore somewhere hundreds of miles away. So remote can be truly remote in that sense. There's a few cases where we also do satellite without actually a cable anywhere. So remote can be almost halfway around the world now. So tell me a little bit about this tether, because I think when most people think of Vs or drones or anything that is remotely operated, they're thinking of it as being unleashed. It's able to go wherever it is. But you just mentioned that there's a tether. Can you tell us a little bit about what the tether is for and why it's necessary? Oh, yeah. One of the huge challenges of operating underwater is radio signals do not penetrate water very well at all. A good example is GPS. So that you know, wonderful thing, you know, GPS, we always know where the robot is. Well, not when it's underwater because GPS only penetrates about a centimeter, a half inch. <laughs> so GPS is completely useless underwater. We can use it on the surface, but it doesn't work underwater. So because of that limitation, we can't push high bandwidth information through water. It's physically impossible to do. You can do it with light if you could see through the water, but in terms of radio waves, they do not penetrate water. So we use a tether to do all of the communications and also the power transmission in most cases. So we use the tether to provide unlimited power to the vehicle, as well as high-speed communications back and forth, which cannot be done in water. That makes a lot of sense. And it moves us to the next topic, actually, which is the implications of power delivery in an ROV, especially in an underwater ROV. So I wonder, uh, Gamini, maybe you can tell us a little bit about what some of the challenges are for delivering power, particularly as you have this tether that is providing the power to the underwater robot. So one of the main challenges when it comes to underwater robots, two things. One is the depth. The other one is the small form factor. So we need to deliver a lot of power you know, created in a small space. In our case, it's like five inches by five inches by one inch kind of a box and delivering about, we want to deliver about 1,500 watts and depth. So as Marcus said, we can go to 3,000 feet. So then 
So you've got to design the whole thing which will tolerate those pressures. So delivering through the tether, the, what happens is if you increase the voltage, so the, we want to have a, the tether as skinny as possible so that it can you can easily manage them. Think about a 3,000 feet long tether, how do you manage it? If it's like a, a diameter of your finger, that's very big. So one thing we can do is to increase the voltage so that you deliver lower current so the tether becomes smaller. So that's where the video ray, you know, vector is Marcus's vision of using the video ray devices. They have the solution that we were looking for, a small form factor, but handling big power. One good thing about underwater robots is water is there always to dissipate heat, whatever is generated. So in that way, the Vico, the devices became our friend. So we were able to design because of their small form factor and a very efficient, high efficiency. So we were able to design our power modules. So we are converting 400 volts to 48 volts with the 1500 watts power inside a small box using micro devices. And then using the, I assume the water around or uh, some to, way of, of, of using right. the water as a heat sink to a certain correct, degree. Correct. So the whatever is generated inside the little box will be designed so that the, that heat gets transferred to outside the box, which is immersed in water. So you mentioned at lower voltages, I guess, the cable would be about the thickness of a finger. What is the thickness of the cables that you're using now by using a, a higher voltage to deliver the power? Marcus, do you have the number for those things? Yeah, yeah, it's about nine millimeters in diameter. And that goes to about 450 meters of length. We can deliver 1500 watts. If we were using, say, 48 volts, it would be like, you know, two inch diameter cable. I mean, it would be insane. Our systems are very, very portable. That's one of the, our core features of all of our systems are they're very portable. They can be carried onto an airplane. They can be carried in a small helicopter out to an oil platform. They can be used off of a very small inflatable boat in the case of the Navy. So to keep the entire system small, we need that high voltage to keep the tether small. That's interesting. The first thing that I thought of when, when Gamini was saying that the size of the tether, the thickness of the tether is related to the voltage is that the higher the voltage, the longer your tether can be, presumably. And you That's can right. you yes. can reach you Small. can reach further depths. I had not considered the fact that it makes the overall system more portable to take it where you need it to go. That's another great benefit of using that higher voltage. Yeah, it's all interrelated. And that's the beauty of the Vicor. I mean, when I first came across the BCM module, we had a local rep and uh, he repped a bunch of things. Uh, Dave Iezzi was his name. Great guy. Come along and, you know, oh, here's the latest tech. Here's the latest, whatever, third, fourth gen DC to DC converters from whoever. And he says, hey, have you seen this Vicor stuff? <laughs> and, he, and he pulls out a BCM data sheet and says, no, I haven't. That can't be right. The power density is insane. <laughs> and so that, that began the journey with Vicor of uh, being able to shrink everything down. And like Amini said, it's critical to what we are, what Video Ray does, having this really portable vehicle. And it it's not just about the portability and the length and the power. It, when we keep the tether diameter down, we're losing drag. Mm. So 
making things small and light. My dad designed airplanes, and I really think it's very, very similar to that underwater. You, you wouldn't think so, but it is. Weight matters. Volume matters. And because it all means drag underwater, which means you need more thrust, more power. So you can very easily lose that battle with a tether that's large can take all of the drag and kill your performance and kill what you're able to do in these high current environments like offshore wind. Yeah, that makes a, a lot of sense. And of course, that is one of the things that we focus on here is how do we pack more power into a really tiny spot to be able to provide that sort of benefit to companies like VideoRay to help you guys make a much more innovative product. I'm wondering, Gamini, you mentioned the earlier the, the size that was allocated to power. I assume that you're trying to minimize that size so that you can put as much other functionality inside the ROV. What are some of the other things that you pack in there? I assume there are sensors, you need actuators and things like that. What else is going into these ROVs? So as Marcus said, that we want to keep our ROV small as possible so that it's very portable. So that's where the size limitations. So as you said, inside the ROV, there's a power module. That's where we all convert the power. We have separate different modules separated separately mounted inside the ROV. So one is the power module. The other one is the, we call it the communication module. Then there's a GPS. There are seven thrusters, all the separate modules and cameras and some other sensors. So these are all that little bottles rated for high depth rating. So the power is separate. So that's where all our Vico stuff is. You mentioned modules. When I look at a lot of the literature related to your products, you often talk about having a very modular design. And I assume that's what you're talking about is these individual that's, modules. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. That's correct. So our, our previous version of ROV with the older version is called Pro 4. It's only one unit. Everything is inside this kind of a big bottle. But that's it. We can't reconfigure in any other way. But then when the markets had this great idea, why don't we go to modular design so that we can change the whole ROV the way we want it. That's where the modular design came. So we separate the power and we separate the communication part. Then we separate all the other part, the devices. And the current, the Defender version, that's the big amount of the leading ROVs that we designed. Is that, that one has seven thrusters. So the thrusters, they're like the wheels or the, the turbos in the plane, the jets. And then the power module, that's separated. So there we have different version of this ROV. So that's another version. We use the same power module and the communication module, but we have different number of thrusters and different design of the ROV. So less power, things like that. So we can easily change the design of ROV, but use the same modules in various ways. Great. Thank you. It sounds like the power is delivered primarily from a remote source through the tether. Are any of the ROVs, are they battery operated in any way? Yeah, so uh, that's something in the last two years, we've been developing batteries that go on the vehicle. And you might think, oh, okay, cool. We don't need these Vicor modules anymore. More. But no, we do <laughs> because we do. Um, this is a recent awesome project we did with Vicor was we wanted to be able to use one to 12 batteries in parallel on systems. Gammy talked about how we're modular. 
and that lets us do all kinds of things down the road in the future, larger vehicles and even surface vehicles, things like that. So the batteries, we have a regulated output of 48 volts, which greatly simplifies our modular architecture. So you can take our, our batteries, plug them together. They actually load balance, which was quite a design feat that Gamini worked very hard <laughs> to, with the Vicor engineers to get it working, but it works really well now. And uh, it's a great design feature that simplifies producing new vehicles by basically just putting the pieces together. Uh, instead of just a dumb battery, it's a smart battery. It's a regulated output battery that load shares. And it's kind of magic, really. It's all driven by Vicor stuff. Again, we need super high density power converters that are really efficient. And that's what we have even in the batteries. Right. The, the 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 battery version is more like the Tesla version of our ROV. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Have you considered using AI? That's a great question. And in fact, yes, we have, and we've been developing some AI the last two years internally, and also with some U.S. Navy programs. So that AI, we can use it topside, in other words, above water. But the real interesting part of AI is putting it on board the vehicle. And once we have a brain on board with our, some artificial intelligence, it really it puts more of the operator capability on board the vehicle. So now we don't need a highly skilled operator. And in fact, right now, most operators of our underwater robots, they don't drive with a joystick. They're not sitting there controlling the depth and the pitch and the roll and, and trying to drive to a target. That We're way beyond that at this point. Really, you input a, a target uh, location or a latitude, longitude you want to go to, and the vehicle drives itself there and then waits for the next thing. So the AI then can drive all that. And this is really opening up a whole new field for us because, for instance, we can operate halfway across the world now without a high-speed, low-latency connection to the vehicle or really an operator. A good example might be offshore looking for a gas seat. Well, we can have an artificial intelligence brain trained to drive the vehicle on a prescribed course, look at the wellhead, round the wellhead area, do a systematic search, find seeps, categorize them, possibly even measure them, and then come back home and report. And that can all be done with very little intervention or no intervention um, from an operator. Right now, we're at the stage where it's assisting the operator and the artificial intelligence is driving the vehicle mainly and then presenting the operator with some choices. Do you want to proceed? Do you want to go? Do you want to take a closer look, circle around it? All of those things are enabled by AI on board the vehicle and it's coming and it's developing very rapidly and it's extremely impressive what it can do with our systems. So yeah, we're doing AI and it's opening up whole new possibilities of automation and smarts underwater. So to do all that processing on board, I assume that means you need to use greater power in processing and higher performance processors, which I also assume means you need to provide even more power because those things are pretty power hungry. <laughs> yeah, typically they are, although I have to mention NVIDIA's <clears throat> Jetson systems are very low powered. These are <clears throat> typically 10, 20 watts of power, which is it's a significant chunk of power if we're battery powered. In some cases we are, but 
the processing power, the horsepower that we get per watt is very, very high with these modules. And so we're able to do quite a bit of AI using machine learning with only about 10 watts of processor power. So it's something that's advancing about every two years, Jetson comes out with a new module that does three to five times the processing capability with the same amount of power. So again, the capabilities are just growing almost exponentially. That's impressive. So what's next in this market? What's next for VideoRay? What are the trends and where do you see your products and your business going? Yeah, well, I think a lot of it is more challenging environments like offshore wind. I mentioned before, extremely challenging environment to be in because of the current. So our top of the line vehicle right now that we provide to the U.S. Navy, it's their choice of robot for explosive ordnance disposal. And uh, they buy quite a few of them. But being able to handle more current and being able to make things even smaller, like I mentioned earlier, bigger doesn't mean better. We want smaller tether, smaller vehicle that can handle more current wins at the end of the day because we're more portable and we can perform better. A drag to weight ratio we can beat with a small vehicle other than a big vehicle. So where we're headed in the future is higher power densities enabled by technologies like Bicor as well as a lot more brains on board, which allows us to automate a lot of the tasks, not just the driving of the vehicle, but what the vehicle is performing, the type of measurement it's doing, or if it's disabling a mine in the case of the US Navy. So higher power, higher density, more brains on board. And then the other thing we're doing is going deeper. Mm. Most of our vehicles are 300 meter depth rated and we've been going to a kilometer now on a couple U.S. Navy programs and some commercially to a kilometer. And wow. uh, we'll pretty soon have vehicles to two kilometers of depth, wow. which is, you know, 6,600 feet. I mean, it's, it's pretty deep. That's impressive. So one, one more question. You've talked a lot about or about a lot of the missions that your robots or ROVs have been on. Any interesting, or I guess, what's the most interesting use that you've seen so far that you can share with us? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. I probably should have thought about it a little bit. There's a lot of, certainly one of the awesomest, the best uses of our systems is not really happy, but it's finding drowning victims. Mm. And it's one of those things that it's, you don't know how awful it is until you've participated in a search and met the family that simply has no closure without a body. In many cases, there's no death certificate, which means financially nothing can move forward. It can be absolutely devastating. So I have to say that every time a body is located with a video ray, it's a big deal. I've been on those searches and I've talked to the family members and you get a little bit of a sense of what that's like. So I have to put that <laughs> probably at the top of my list. We have trained operators and, and that's all they do they work for organizations that try to find drowning victims and they do along those lines is also repatriation of military members lost at sea i think that's really awesome we've participated in a few of those as well you know in terms of the fun missions yeah <laughs> probably one of the most fun things i've been doing is with the u.s navy going to depths of a kilometer that's 3,300 feet deep doing some real work with manipulator arms from Sarcos 
doing some really cool stuff I can't talk about, but those missions are a lot of fun. Well, certainly the first type of mission you mentioned, somber, but very impactful. And it does seem like while you have the fun missions, you're enhancing people's lives. You're you're giving them the closure that they need and having a lot of impact. And that's got to be rewarding, even though the circumstances might not be the most uplifting. Yeah. But, well, Marcus and Gamini, thank you very much for joining us today and sharing with us what Video Ray does and how you do it. It's a remarkable technology that you have. And as we just said, very, very impactful. And I'm glad that Vicor gets to be a part of that. So thank you very much for taking the time today to talk to us about that. Yep, my pleasure. Thank you for inviting us for this podcast. So I learned a couple things today. Number one, David's a pretty good host. For his first time, I thought he did a pretty good job. That was pretty cool. And number two, I realized that GPS is totally useless underwater. <laughs> it kind of makes sense, but I guess I never really thought about it. So it's interesting that that came up. You know, it really emphasizes the essential nature of a tether for data communications, power, and a myriad of other things when it comes to communicating underwater. Yeah, Steve, the whole GPS thing is fascinating because we've all been in that situation where we lose our GPS and we have no idea where we are. But in this case, it's really important for the ROV to have that tether or what I refer to as umbilical cord because that allows it to communicate data up and down from the source ship down to the ROV. But more importantly, it actually provides the power needed to run the ROV. And equally important is to have a tether that's lightweight because if you had a heavy tether, it's going to affect the overall maneuverability of the ROV itself. So you might not be able to get into those tight spaces otherwise. The only way of getting a light tether is to run higher voltages down to the ROV from the source vessel. And the only way of doing that is really using Vicor power modules, because those are the ones that are able to handle the higher voltages in those small spaces, as opposed to other solutions. That's where the value that Vicor has to offer is basically handling higher voltages in, in smaller spaces. And ROVs have very, very tight spaces. Yeah, you make a good point there. And I think about the, the high voltage and thinner cable and, tar and think about how counterintuitive that is. But you're absolutely right, Joe. The higher voltage you have, the thinner the cable can be, which then leads ultimately to maneuverability. And if I've learned anything about this industry, maneuverability really is the holy grail for these ROVs underwater. You know, I know that the Video Ray Defender ROV has seven thrusters on board, and those thrusters are helping to move in any direction and to get into tight spaces and whatnot. So you really hit on that key point there of maneuverability. But one of the things they also started to talk about, which is very interesting, was AI, right? Artificial intelligence. What area of this world is artificial intelligence not connected to at this point? And they're trying to use it here. And so the way I understand it is when these ROVs go underwater through machine learning, their ROV itself can pretty much do its own maneuvering and determine and identify the problems through machine learning without having to be manipulated in any way. And then they pretty much alert ground control, if you will, where there are issues. So it's pretty interesting how AI is being used today. Yeah, AI is ubiquitous. I mean, every time we turn on the computer or look at a newspaper or a magazine, it's, it's always talking about 
how AI is being used to make life easier or make complex situations a lot easier. But in this situation, I think it's appropriate because, as you pointed out, it takes kind of the more tedious and mundane tasks of maybe piloting an ROV to its destination and leaves that to AI because you can pre-program all that information. And then the artificial intelligence can actually pilot the vessel to that location and then alert the operator that, okay, it's arrived at its destination. And now the operator needs to engage as opposed to just doing the tedious task of piloting the thing for hours. So now that makes it a lot more efficient because now the operator can be doing other things rather than having to just pilot this thing through the darkness of the ocean. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, lastly, I thought it was pretty interesting that these guys are able to operate these systems, if you will, from halfway around the world if they need to, through connections, through satellite or however else they do it. They're able to manage these things at extremely distant places if needed. So again, the technology is evolving and this industry is one we really kind of need to keep our eye on because it's really growing and uh, progressing in a pretty interesting fashion. But, you know, that's all we have time for for today. So another great episode. Thanks for listening to the Vico Powering Innovation Podcast. So until next time, I'm Steve Germino with my co-host Joe Ducey. Thanks for tuning in to the Vicor Powering Innovation Podcast.